What does 230 plus mean? Do we get guesses yet? Nope. The sign says, come as you are. But I doubt it. Because if that were true, every Sunday morning pew would be crowded. You say church should be more like a hospital. A safe place for the sick, the sinner, the scarred, and the prodigal. The title of my message this morning is The Church Hyphen and then the two words, who cares? That can be read one of two different ways, right? It can be the church who cares. We we can be the church who cares, right? Or it could be the church who cares, right? Rex has done a, we have just went through a fantastic series by Rex on the book of James, that then he led into pursuing God and and pursuing God in our own personal relationship and, and developing a personal relationship with God, which is extremely vital for us as followers of Christ. But today, I want to talk about why that matters. Why does it matter that I build a relationship with Jesus? Why does it, why should I care that I grow in my relationship with Jesus? What, what's the purpose in me spending time in the Word and spending time praying and spending time in worship? What, what really am I doing that for? Is it simply so that I can have a better relationship with the Lord? Is that what God did for me? Is, is that why God saved me? Did He give me salvation so that I can be saved? And if he did, then when I become saved and when I accept him and I accept his grace and his forgiveness, then why do I have to stay? Because we have to be the church. And I would say that we have to be the church who cares. And I want to start out today's sermon letting you know a couple things. First of all, this message is is much for me as it is for anybody. So if I come across harsh or I come across unloving, I'm going to apologize from the beginning because I don't mean that to be true. But the Lord has really been, the Lord has really been working in my life in showing me where I think the church is missing the mark. And the second thing is I love absolutely love being a part of True North Church. There's not a place I would rather worship on Sunday morning. There's not a group of people that I would rather spend time with. There's not a, there's not a preacher I would rather listen to than Rex. I love being a part of this church. So please understand that as we go through this message today, I am not throwing stones at True North Church. The number 230 plus is the number of different denominations. Of churches. 230. In John, in the garden, Jesus prayed before he was tried and crucified. 
Anyone remember what he prayed as it relates to the church? I pray, Father, that they will be one. How have we gone from one to more than 230? I have some theories. They're probably for another day. But we're going to talk today about what it really means to be the church. It's going to be kind of bumpy. I'm sorry. But we're going to go through it together, okay? Everybody with me? This means yes, this means no. We're going to go through this together, okay? How many of you have heard the illustration of the church as a body? Anyone? See, that comes from Scripture. That's actually, that's actually in the Bible. Paul writes about the church being a body. How many of you, how many of you have heard about, have you heard the illustration of the church as a team? Got a quarterback and all the, the, the team illustration. I agree with both of those. They, they are good ways to, to talk about the church. But, there, but there's one way I want us to look at it today differently. And there's a reason I want us to look at it differently. If I say the church is like a team, what is the team's goal? What does the team get together for? To win, right? And you'll hear people say, it's not, it's, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. That person never won anything in their life. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, I'm just teasing. I really, I love you. My name is Brian. We're friends. Hopefully we'll be friends for a while. All right? But, <clears throat> but let's think about how that translates to the church. If I'm on a team and we play in this game and we get slaughtered, I mean, we just get totally destroyed. What happens the next day? We go back to practice, right? We talk about how bad we played, where we could improve. Little rah-rah, little encouragement, little, you're not, it's not a totally lost cause, it's just mostly lost. Now let's improve, and then we're going to play in another event. And what, what, are our options in, what, what are our options in the next event? We can win, we can lose, or we can tie. And the cycle repeats itself. This is why I struggle just a little bit with that illustration of the church. The church is not in a win-lose game. The church is in a life or death game. When the church messes it up, people die eternally. When the church doesn't give the message that Jesus wants people to have, people lose out on Jesus. And the Bible is very clear. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. What's the rest of that verse? No one. 
So if the church is not doing its job in sharing Jesus, people are not just losing. We're not, we're not just, oh, well, we didn't get as many points as we should have. People are dying without Jesus and spending their eternity in hell. I didn't make it up. I didn't write it. But it's the truth. Right? So I want to share with you a different picture of the church than maybe you've heard before. And part of it is based on my background. Because it's what I know well. I'm 20 years into a career in it. But we're going to look today at the church as first responders. Because first responders do a lot of the same things teams do, but there's something different about first responders doing their job correctly or not correctly and a team doing their job correctly or not correctly. Everybody understand that? Some of you don't know who I am. I'm, I work for the Toledo Police Department. I'm now... Uh, I'm, according to the chief, I'm now the head cheese eater um, because I'm the captain in charge of internal affairs for the Toledo Police Department. So uh, when you see on TV, on, if you ever watch a, a, a police show and the guy shows up that everybody starts talking bad about, avoids and doesn't want to talk to and says bad things about, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, but, I, but through my career in first responders, I've worked very closely with police officers because I am one. But I've also worked closely with dispatchers, and I've worked closely with firefighters, and I've worked closely with EMS workers. And there's something about all of us, and there's something about all of our jobs that translate to what I think the church should be, how I think the church should operate doesn't mean it's the only way to look at it. So please don't walk out of here and say, Brian said we have to be first responders. Okay? But it's one way for us to look at it. And the first reason that I think it's important for us to look at the church as first responders is what, what Jesus says. Who does he say this to? <laughs> See, somebody got it. I love it. says so to Peter, because I put it in there. It's like a softball pit. It makes it easy for you. Here's an easy... Jesus says this to Peter. I'm going to tell you that I'm changing your name to Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. (laughs) All right. I like it. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Listen, church. Christianity is not about winning and losing. We've already won. Jesus already said the battle is already won. We can't lose. As as Christians, as those of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we cannot lose. So it's not about winning and losing. It's about life and death of those that aren't with us, those that haven't joined us. The first thing that's important for you to understand about first responders is training is paramount for us. I'm going to tell you, I'm I'm okay saying the truth. Police, fire, EMS, and dispatchers, none of us are rocket scientists. To become a a police officer in the city of Toledo, you only have to have a GED or a high school diploma. 50, uh, on the 22nd of this month, 50 wide-eyed, 
anxious, eager, young bucks are going to show up at the Toledo Police Academy with their eyes wide open, and they're going to be all excited, and they're going to, they're going to come smack dab right, right in their face to a rude awakening. They're going to meet the mayor and they're going to meet the chief of police and and some other command staff and that kind of stuff. But but then once they're gone, then those those young children are going to find out what push-ups mean. And they're going to find out what it's like to be streamed at. And they're going to find out what it's like to not be able to win. And they're going to find they're going to experience all kinds of things for the next 31 weeks. The Toledo Police Academy is 31 weeks long and it's 40 hours a week in the building. And we give them homework that takes them six or seven hours a night if they want to stay up on their notebooks. Stress. I've got to teach them how to deal with stress because their job is going to be stressful. I can't teach them how to deal with stress by telling them about it. I could tell you, it's really stressful when people are out there yelling at you. Somebody wants to try and hurt you, it's stressful. Be nice to them. It's, it's stressful. Don't be overly mean to them. It's stressful. This is what you're allowed to do. It's stressful. This is what you're not allowed to do. They've got to train for that. Training, training means getting involved. There are a few things that are required for you to be trained. To be educated, I just need to tell you something and you need to be able to learn it and regurgitate it on a test. To be trained, I have to teach you how to do it. Then I have to let you do it. And when I let you do it, what, what am I going to let you do? Fail. Good. Because you're going to mess it up, right? We, we bring some of these kids out on the range floor. I'm not, a, I'm not a firearms instructor. But they bring these new kids out on the range. They, they get two weeks of 40 hours of, of firearms for Toledo. But we put them out there. They, they get put out there, and they get handed a gun. And all the, all the instructors kind of step back because you never know who's ever touched a gun b- before. And if they haven't touched a gun before and it's the first time they're going to shoot it, God only knows what's going to happen. Only he is aware of where that thing might go. We've we've got ceiling tiles that have been shot. We've got holes in the floor in the concrete floor where bullets have hit the, the concrete floor. It, it, it's it, it's crazy, but but you've got to learn. And part of learning and part of training is failing because then you fail and then we say, obviously that didn't work. What what do you need to do differently? Well, maybe you need to move your finger out a little bit. And so there's all these kind of things. But you have to train. Firemen, look at firemen. We don't, they don't just one day say, okay, hop off the truck, grab that hose, and go put that fire out. Right? Because the first time they hold a, a fire hose, they, a lot of them actually fall down. Because the pressure is so, the pressure in a fire hose is so strong when you try and hold it. It's not like your garden hose. Oh, look, I water my flowers. There's some pressure behind that thing. And so you've got to train them. And you've got to let a few of them fall back on their hiney and then pick them up and then say, oh, obviously we should have done that differently. And so there has to be some failure for training to actually happen and for you to achieve success. There's all, I know for police officers, there are several different things that they have to prove proficiency in before we let them, before we just, before we give them a badge and we give them a gun. Another one is driving. We, 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 you don't, we, we don't just give you a police car with lights and lights and sirens and say, okay, now go drive like a fool. We let them drive like a fool for 40 hours. And then we, then we say, okay, now you're certified to drive like a fool. Go ahead. 
But the number of cones that get knocked down, I am a driving instructor. The number of cones that get run over, we call them babies while we're training. Oh, man, you just kill the baby. So the, number of, the number of, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that, should I? Sometimes, sometimes I forget I'm not talking to police officers. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry, Jesus. It gets their attention, though. But anyway, the number of cones that get driven over and, and run over, and we've actually had to stop cars before because the, because the cone will get wedged up in the wheel well so bad that all you see is this burning rubber of the cone trying to be drugged. And sometimes they're not smart enough to know, just stop. You, 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 you're killing not only the car, but you're killing the cone. So let's stop. So we've got to let them fail because when they fail... Then they realize what they did, and then we can teach them what they did to fail. Then we have them try it again, and they get better. Does that make sense? Brian, why do you spend that much time talking about training in a church, in a sermon? It has nothing to do with church. Oh, oh, yeah, it does. You see, a lot of us as church people like to be educated. We don't like to train. Training requires failure. Training requires getting involved. Training requires trying something. What we really like, what 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 a lot of us really like is, I'll come in Sunday morning, I'll even, I'll put on a nice shirt, I'll walk into church on Sunday, I'll put a smile on, I'll, I'll say hi, and people ask me how I am, and I'll say I'm fine, and they'll say they're fine, and and we'll have this good time, and then we'll sing some fun songs, because Dave is a cool guy, and then we'll get done singing, and then Rex will say some words, and, and then we'll, We'll get done and we'll say, okay, have a fine week again this weekend. I'll see you next week. We'll all be fine again. And, and that's, our, that's our process, right? We, we come, we, we hear, we sing, we learn, we go, we come, we sing, we learn. We, and life never really changes. There's a reason that we as a church offer things like West and East and Every Man a Warrior and all of those other, all those Bibles that we have, ladies' Bibles. That there's a reason that we offer those, because we understand that people of Christ, that, that, that Christians need to be trained to actually do the work of Christ. Educate the education that you get from a sermon on Sunday morning is not going to take is not going to allow you to go into the world and actually act. And serve as a first responder trying to save lives. It won't. Most of us are not comfortable sharing Jesus with other people. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, I won't. <laughs> but if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many people, how many people love a van love us sharing Jesus? <laughs> you wouldn't, you'd want to raise your hand because you'd think it's the right answer, but you'd be like, Ugh. I probably shouldn't raise my hand, but I know I'm supposed to. But you see, when we get together in groups and we pray together and we, and we share together outside of this time and we share each other's burdens and we talk about what's going on and we talk about the people that work that we think need Jesus and we, and we pray for those people and other people's families and, and all that. When we get together, that's training. That's where we actually lose. And then we can give you encouragement. We can say, okay, I know you, you've been asking for prayer for your coworker for three weeks. What have you said to them about Jesus? Oh, nothing. Well, how about this week you try just a couple words about him? 
And then we pray for you. And then we encourage you. And then you go and you try it. And you come back. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work. Anyone ever shared Jesus with somebody that didn't, it didn't work? <laughs> you know that a 90% fire, a, a police officer that shoots 90% on the range in an actual firefight shoots 20%. If they can put 9 out of 10 in the target on the range, when other bullets start flying, it drops all the way to 20%. Why do I tell you that? Because it's a fun statistic? Yeah, it is kind of. Because when you try and share Jesus, you're not going to get it every time. And what happens is, we, we go out there, we pray ourselves up, we get all into it, like, oh, okay, I'm going to share Jesus, and we share him, and they blow us off. And we're like, ooh, I really stink at this. I guess I won't do it anymore. No. That's why we train. That's why we go do it over and over and over again. So, so I may have not succeeded that time, but I'll succeed this time. I may not succeed that time, but one of these one one of these bullets is going to actually hit that target. I don't know when, but one of them is. Look at this verse thirteen of Hebrews chapter five. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Rex brought this message up: milk, meat, right? Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. It requires training. And training only happens with other people. You have to get involved with others or you're your, your relationship that, that Rex talked about so well, your, your, pursuit with rela- your pursuit relationship with Jesus is only going to succeed if you have people with you. If you have people walking alongside you and helping you and encouraging you. Try doing it on your own. It's very difficult. Which brings me to the second part of the, the second thing about First responders. Relationships. How many of you have heard of the thin blue line? You want to hear the thin blue line? Probably on the media, right? And probably, my guess is, if you've heard about the thin blue line in the media, you've heard that it's our protective layer so other police officers don't get in trouble, right? Anybody heard it that way? Anybody heard it shared that way? Let me share with you what the thin blue line actually means to us. The thin blue line... The thin red line, because fire has their, their red line. Dispatchers are yellow. They, all of us together, band together because we, well, we'll talk in, our, in a little bit about purpose, but we all band together because we understand we have to have each other. You'll hear people talk, you, if you talk to police officers too much or, or fire, firefighters, if you hear talk to police officers, you'll hear them talk about their partners, right? Partners are important to police officers because that's the person that I'm saying, I'm going to trust you. Okay? When, when, uh, on 9-11, when the towers were falling, people, business people and everything were running out. 
right? And, and they should be because that makes my job easier. What were police and fire doing and EMS? What were they doing? They're running in. They're going in to, they're going in to save lives. They're, they're going in to make a difference. They're, they're going in to, to bring as many out as they can. Doing that, knowing they have other policemen and other firemen helping them and they're with them. My partner is not just somebody that I spend eight hours a day driving around in the car listening to country music or classic rock music or any other music and talking about the old days. Being a partner actually means when we get into it, you're going to be there for me and I'm going to be there for you. And I have to trust them. I have to have a partner that I can know if it really starts getting bad, they're going to be there for me. Firemen, when they get, they, they drive out in, in trucks and they have their own, they have shifts and that kind of stuff. But when they go into a fire, they have to know that the people they're working with are going to go beside them and behind them and protect them. And they're going to go as a unit. They have to have each other. What we as a church have to understand is that it doesn't happen alone. Certainly, I can strengthen my relationship with the Lord on my own. I can pray by myself. I can read by myself. I can sing worship songs by myself. I can sit in my pajamas and my couch and watch a sermon on Sunday morning if I want to. I don't have to get involved if I want to grow myself spiritually. But if I want to do the work of the Lord... If I want to do what God actually called me to do, and that is to draw more people to him, I have to have relationships. Look at Ecclesiastes in chapter 4. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Isn't that what we want to do? We want to succeed, right? If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Isn't the New Living Translation fun? You're in real trouble. You fall alone. No kidding. Likewise, two people lying close together can stay warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better than two because a cord of three strands cannot easily be broken. Church, you've got to say to each other, I need you. There isn't a group out there more unwilling to accept help than first responders. Until COVID hit, the number of police suicides outnumbered the number of killed in the line of duties. For ten year, at least 10 years, the statistics that I looked at. We are not good at getting help when we need to get help. But we are good at trusting each other and knowing if we're going into this, I need to know you're going to be here. I don't want to work with a partner that's going to go running away when it gets scary. That's bad. Because if I expect them to be behind me, protecting me, and they're not, I'm in trouble. Right? It's the same as we follow Christ. It's the same as we build the church. You say the church should look more like a should look like a hospital, a safe place, a safe place for anybody. 
And that safe place happens with relationships. Do relationships in the church ever get messed up? This means yes. This means no. Yes. Yes, they do. Because we're people. But one thing I believe that would help us is if we would, we as a church, and we as a church corporately throughout the world, if we would remember that we're here together and we're here together and we need each other, and rather than badmouthing the people that are working with us, maybe we should help them. Maybe we should build a stronger relationship with them. Maybe we should go talk to them and say, ah, I'm not exactly sure. Ah, I, I don't want to tell you that you need to do something, but. I'm afraid for you. And, and that's scary. That goes back to training, right? We have to have each other. A cord of three strands is much more difficult to defeat than one alone. So we have to train. And we have to remember that relationships matter. And the last thing is, we have to have a purpose. What's our purpose? I asked you earlier, did Jesus simply give you salvation to save you? Is the only purpose in salvation, is it only to save you? If it is, then when salvation comes, why stay? Wouldn't it make more sense for Jesus to take us home once we experience salvation? Oh, you believe in me? Oh, you you love me? Oh, you acknowledge me? Okay, I don't need you for anything else. Come on. Come enjoy heaven. Why does he leave us here? Because he entrusted the gospel to us. The most important message ever shared by anyone, he entrusted to us as human beings. Our purpose as a church is to bring glory and honor to God. And God is honored and glorified most when people are drawn to him. You don't believe me? What does Jesus say about the one lamb that's found? The one lamb that's found and the 99 that are kept. There's more rejoicing in heaven over the one that was found than the 99 that stayed faithful. Bringing people to Jesus creates a party in heaven. Because that's what we're here for. It is very important for us to have a strong relationship with Jesus individually. But that relationship that we have with Jesus individually only matters if we share it with the church and use it to bring people in. Let that sink in for a minute. Our relationship individually with Jesus only matters if it's used to build the kingdom. How many of you don't like I just said that? What's our purpose? You see, as a as a police officer or as a firefighter or as an EMS worker. Our purpose is to get keep people safe, and if they need to get the help, get them to help. 
My job as a police officer, if there's a bad accident, my job as a police officer is to protect the scene. We're going to set up. We're not going to let traffic through the accident scene so that fire and EMS can do their job. One of us is going to write down a bunch of stuff and do a report eventually, but the rest of us are going to be doing traffic and making sure that the fire people and the EMS workers are not being bothered. The dispatcher is sitting in their own place answering the phone calls with the screaming people that are close to dying or afraid they're going to die and communicating what they're saying to us so we know where we need to be. So there's this whole group of people all working for one purpose, and that purpose is to get the people safe and if they need assistance, to get them to the hospital. Doesn't that sound like what the church is here for? Are there people in the church that are young in their faith and need protection from maybe not so Christian-like Christians? Certainly there are. Are there things that happen in the church that need to be dealt with? Certainly there are. But more importantly, is there a world where people are dying without Jesus and going to hell? Yeah. Yeah, there are. And I think at times we as the church have become too comfortable. We do Christianity as it's comfortable for us. I, I don't really like I don't really like small groups. That's a little bit too much touchy feely for me, and a little bit too intimate. I don't really want everybody to know my business, so I'll just kind of just kind of stay out of it. I, I don't really want to talk to too many people. I'll say my greetings. Uh, I'll be fine. But let me sneak out and do my thing. The message of the cross is not win or lose. It's already won. Satan can't win. It's impossible for him to win. God has already done that. Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. Complete. I've done all I'm supposed to do. I've given them what they need to experience life with me eternally. Now it's up to you, church. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell won't stand against it, some translations say. Won't overcome it. Satan cannot win. And if the church would understand that and it would bring that to the front of their minds, I think there'd be a huge difference because a lot of us are afraid to do what God asked us to do because we're afraid we'll lose. We'll lose face. We'll lose friends. We'll lose standing in the community. We'll lose. We'll lose. We'll... You can't lose Jesus. But people without Jesus can lose their life. And God asked you and me to give it to him.
church. Who cares? For the church, who cares? I'd like the worship team to come forward. I'm going to... You see the picture in the top left-hand corner? It's a picture of Stephen Seiler. Stephen Seiler was a member of the New York Fire Department. At eight years old, Stephen was... Stephen lost his dad. He grew up in New York. He lost his dad. A year and a half after that, nine and a half, he lost his mom. He was raised as an orphan by his siblings. At the age of 35, on September 11th, 2001, Stephen was on the way to play golf with his siblings. And he had a scanner and he heard on a scanner that the the World Trade Center had been hit by an airplane. Stephen called his brothers and he said, Hey, I'd love to I'd I'd love to play golf with you today, but I'm not going to be able to. Something horrible has happened downtown and I've got to go help. He wasn't called. He wasn't asked. His sergeant, his lieutenant, his commander didn't call and say, hey, you need to get in here. He heard it on the scanner. He said, I've got to go. People are going to need me. They're going to be able to use my help. So he turned around from where he was. He went back to his station, got his fire truck, and, and took off in the fire truck heading from Brooklyn to Manhattan to get to the to the World Trade Center so he could help with whatever they needed help with. When he got to the entrance to the Brooklyn Tunnel to get to Manhattan, the tunnel had already been shut down because of security reasons. So there's this huge gridlock of cars that a fire truck's not going to get through. So Stephen gets out of his truck, puts all of his gear on, 60 pounds worth of gear with the tank and the helmet. And I don't know if you've ever had a fire helmet on, had their coat and their pants and their boots. That's why I'm a, that's one reason I'm a policeman. Too heavy for me. 60 pounds of gear. Almost five kilometers. Stephen walked with his equipment because they needed him. There were brothers and there were sisters trying to save lives at the World Trade Center because the worst event ever in American history almost had happened. And Stephen said, I'm going to go. And when he ran into a barrier, he couldn't drive his truck anymore. Instead of giving up, he said, okay, I'll walk. Three and a half miles with 60 pounds of gear. Stephen didn't make it. He's one of the firemen that died that day. In that second picture that you see, 
Every year, there's a walk. From the beginning of the Brooklyn Tunnel all the way to the World Trade Center. There's a 5K. They established the Steven Siler Tunnels to Towers Foundation. And the Steven Siler Tunnels to Towers Foundation, their mission is to provide rent and mortgage-free living for the, for the families of fallen officers and firefighters. And I know of two families they've allowed to live without rent and without mortgage. Thousands of people come every year. Some of them you can see they're in their fire gear. Thousands. They fill the tunnel because they believe in the cause that Steven Siler stood for. story. But you know what also is true? We have a Savior. We have a Savior that was in a place that was fantastic. He wasn't heading to play golf. He was being praised and worshipped constantly. There's no sickness. There's no crying. There's no death. He's in the the best place ever. And he said, those people need me. And instead of continuing to his to his fun place, Jesus said, I'm going to put on the gear of a human. And I'm going to go down there. And I'm going to walk up a hill. And I'm going to die on a cross. so that they can be with me someday because they need me because they can't do it on their own that part's done my question church is this are we the church who cares do we care do we really care about those people that are dying without Jesus Do we really want them to come to experience him? Do we really want to save lives for eternity? Or are we okay with where we're at? The church, ah, who cares? I love our church. And there's great people in this church. people that don't know Jesus where you work where you go to school where you grocery shop be a first responder you do everything you can to get them to the hospital or you're just going to drive by the church deserve anything that I have. And I, I certainly don't deserve to be up here 
sharing your word, but that's how you designed it. You designed it for us to bring them to you. God, help us not just to be a going church. Help us to be a bringing church. Help us to go get those people and bring them to you. Because without you, if they don't get to you, they die. (laughs) But when they get to you, Lord, and when they find you, and when you impact their life, they live forever. (laughs) You trusted us with that. You trusted us to bring them to you. God, give us the strength, the courage to be who you want us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name.